Well, we just ask you to guide and lead us as we open the Word today. Help us to see what you'd have us to see from this chapter in Numbers. And we just ask you for your wisdom and leading. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Numbers chapter 9, starting at verse 1. And the Lord spoke unto Moses of Sinai in the first month of the second year after they were cut out of the land of Egypt, saying, let the children of Israel also keep the Passover at his appointed season. In the fourteenth day of the month at evening you shall keep it in his appointed season according to all the rites of it, and according to all the ceremonies thereof shall you keep it. And Moses spoke unto the children of Israel that they should keep the Passover, and they kept the Passover on the fourteenth day of the first month at the evening in the wilderness of Sinai, According to all that the Lord commanded Moses, so did the children of Israel. And we're going to stop there for a moment. So we're looking at this, and it's he's talking about the first month of the second year. And if you remember when we started this book way back a while ago, and in chapter 1, of, in verse 1, it said, On the first month of the second, of the first day of the second month of the second, in the second year where they come out of Egypt. So we, what we find out is that the book of Numbers is not a completely chronological book. <laughs> okay, We started out in the second month of the beginning of the book, and then we're jumping in chapter 9. He's referring back to a story from a time before. All right. So we just wanted to point that out. It's not, a chronological, it's not fully told in chrono chronological order. But we're going to look and see why this is, because he's going to be dealing with a problem after this. But they've been in the Sinai for a year at this point, or actually just under a year because it took them a month or so to get to Sinai. And all of a sudden, it's time for the Passover. And Passover was a celebration of the protection of the people of Israel on the 10th plague of, on Egypt, where the firstborn of all, the, of all living things were killed, unless they had the, the blood on the doorpost, which form a cross, because it's both sides the top and they pooled at the bottom. So it formed the sign of a cross on their door and they were protected by the blood of the lamb and that was a picture of Jesus as our Passover lamb. The, and the process was they picked this lamb, they examined it for four days and then they would kill the lamb and then they would eat the lamb at night. Anything left over was to be burnt in the morning and no bones were to be broken on that lamb. Okay, they were to have no leaven in their house, which leaven represents sin, as we've covered before. And they ate unleavened bread and bitter herbs, which, and we still use the term, you know, that was a bitter, that, that experience left a bitter taste in my mouth, or it was a bitter pill to swallow when something bad happens to us, and that these herbs were to make them think of the bad things that they were being protected from. So all of these things were going on on this, and it's a year after their first Passover, and they're now getting ready to practice their second Passover. And it says, you shall keep it in its appointed season, or literally time, which is the 14th day of the, of the first month of the year for them, which for us it corresponds roughly to March or April. And he told them to keep the Passover, and they did. So in verse 6 we read, And there were certain men who were defiled by a dead body of a man that they could not keep the Passover on the day that they came. And they came before Moses and before Aaron on, on that day. 
And those men said unto them, We are defiled by the dead body of a man, wherefore are we kept back for, that we may not offer an offering to the Lord in this appointed season among the children of Israel. And Moses said unto them, Stand still, and I will hear what the Lord will command concerning you. All right, so these guys went out, and somehow they, they got defiled by a dead body. They picked it up, they buried it, whatever reason. And what happens when you touch a dead body that we've been covering? You have to cleanse yourself for a day. You cleanse yourself, and you're, and you're unclean until that night. night. Okay, so they were not able to do the preparation for the Passover and participate in the Passover because of this body. And their complaint was, hey, we really want to serve God. We want to give this offering, but because we are defiled, we can't do this. So Moses, what do you say? What can we do about this? And it kind of speaks to these men that want to serve God, want to do what God says to do. And this is a special celebration. This is, this is a celebration in honor of everything that is past and... And the people are saying, and these guys come in and they say, and Moses didn't have an answer for them. <laughs> but I love Moses' answer. He said, stand here while I, go to the, while I go to God. I'm going to go pray to God and find out what the answer is. And this is how we're to answer people. And I've talked about this. If we don't know an answer to a question somebody's asking about God or the Bible, we don't try to make something up or, or you know, give them some line of bull and, and try to make it hard for them to understand we say, you know what, I don't know the answer, but let me go get, let me go find an answer. If it's some related to something we don't know in the Bible, we need to dig into the Bible and find the answer. We need to go before God and say, what, God, what principle covers this instance? And these guys were saying, according to the law, we're, we, we can't participate. And that was true. They were defiled. They could not participate in the offering. And they were looking and saying, hey, you know, we, we, this means that we can't participate in the Passover until next year. Provided we don't touch a dead body on, you know, and get defiled in some way next year. And so Moses goes to God in verse 9. And the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, If any man of you or your prosperity shall be unclean by reason of a dead body or by a journey, or a journey afar off, yet he shall keep the Passover unto the Lord the fourteenth day of the second month, at the evening they shall keep it and eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs, and you shall leave it leave none of it until morning, nor break any bone of it according to all the ordinances of the Passover you shall keep. But the man that is clean and not in a journey and forbears to keep the Passover, even that same soul shall be cut off from among his people because he has, brought an has not brought an offering unto the Lord in his appointed season. That man shall bear his own sin. So he's basically saying, okay, you, you couldn't, you weren't allowed to give the offering. And he says, oh, and by the way, if you're in the future and you're not in Jerusalem, you are someplace else, then you, you know, doing work, not just choosing to be away, then you can celebrate on the 14th day of the second month. All right. And we note here, he says, and he gives them all the different rules. Don't break the bones, right? you know, cook it, eat the whole thing overnight and, you know, eat bitter herbs. None left, don't break a bone and follow. So it's the following month they were allowed to to celebrate Passover. They would they would just okay, I was unclean or I was away on business, so here I am now. I can now celebrate twenty eight days later, basically, on the second second month. And he says in verse thirteen, but if any man is clean and not on a journey, 
and just decides he doesn't want to you know do it for some reason that person is unclean you know cannot celebrate on the second they cannot just choose well i just don't want to choose you know my my finances are low i don't just don't want to gather gather with anybody this this month and he can't just choose to ignore it that would almost be like saying well i'm just not going to practice christmas on the 25th of december i'm going to practice it on december uh, january 25th because i just feel like doing it <laughs> okay not quite as bad because it's not that holiness to that to that but you understand how that people would look at that person like what's wrong with this person you know they can't celebrate the day on the day it's supposed to happen and that's what God's saying if you just choose not to do it you're in trouble you can't just choose to say okay I prefer to do it next month uh, and so then he says that person shall bear his own sin and his iniquity and he shall be cut off and we've talked about this whole idea of being cut off you know, you're, you're cast out of the community. And this is a serious thing, and, you know, especially in this day and age, if you're not with the community, you're, you're pretty much dead meat. You're, you're fair game to every, every animal, every bandit, everybody coming along trying to, to take you off. There's no food, there's no, no water, because the, the town is, you know, the community is around the water, so you have no water. When they move, you might get some water, depending on how long they stay there. But, you know, you're, it's a big deal to be cut off. And then this little curious thing in verse 14. And if a stranger shall sojourn among you, an alien, somebody who's not a, not a Jew, and will keep the Passover unto the Lord according to the ordinances of the Passover and according to the manner thereof, so shall he do. You shall have one ordinance both for the stranger and for him that was born in the land. We've talked about this in many times through Exodus and Leviticus. God made provision for the Gentiles to come in and worship him if they wanted to. And yet the Jews made all these rules and all these regulations that the Gentiles were not allowed anywhere near God and his sacrifices and the temple. And, and yet God was saying, I'm gracious enough. I want the world. Give me the world. <laughs> Give me the world. And I want because I want them. And yet they kept pushing back, saying, we're the chosen. We're the chosen. No one else can come in unless they become part of the Jewish religion. And that meant being circumcised and making the agreement to change. But that is not what this verse says. This verse does not say they become a Jew. It says that they can practice Passover because they want to. Because it's a celebration of Jesus' grace and his mercy and his forgiveness of our sins. And so he's saying, you can use it. Don't go out there and try to figure out all this stuff where you don't get to, where you isolate these people and you, send, you, you say they deserve hell because God does not desire that they, anyone go to hell. Now, he knows that most people will. He knows that many will. But it is not his desire that they go to hell. That's why Jesus came to die for the world. When, when Peter was told to go to Cornelius' house by God, he goes, God, I've never been to, uh, to a person to become unclean. I've never gone to a Gentile's house to eat with them and fellowship with them. That's, you're not allowed to do it. And that's when God said, don't call something unclean that I have, that I have declared as clean. And Peter had to learn to go min the ministering to the Gentiles was not a bad thing. Mm. Paul had to learn ministering to the Gentiles was not a bad thing. Now, he was called to minister to the Gentiles, and he said, I've been called to do that. But that was not an easy choice for a person who has been schooled in the fact that Gentiles are born to go to hell. 
And all of a sudden he's going, oh, God doesn't want them in hell. Now I've got to figure out what, what to do about this. God's telling me to go preach to them. And can you imagine everything that you know, everything you've been taught is Gentiles don't deserve anything from God. They deserve to go to hell because that's what they're born for. They're not chosen. And then have God tell you, now I want you to go preach the gospel to them so that they can, go to, they can come and be part of the family and be able to call me Abba. This is a big deal. And this is a picture of what we do as Christians. When we get saved, we have to change the way we think about things to match up to what God says. And the older we are, the harder that change is a lot of times because of how many bad things we've had in our life and in our thought patterns. In one sense, getting saved early is good because you don't have all the bad thoughts, but then you get the flip side of that is sometimes you get self-righteous and think I'm better than them because I've always, you know, I've never gone into these sins. And both sides are bad, but I think I would rather see people get saved early and not have to deal with changing the way they think as much. But even then, I've seen people who've been in church all their life that don't think like God does. They've been so infected by the world that they think like the world. And this is what is sad out there. We're, and we want Christians to really get down into business and say, I'm going to think with God. When God says it, I'm going to agree. And I've had people go, well, I just don't know that I can believe that verse. I'm going, I'm sorry, this is what God says. We have to agree with every word of the Bible or it's, the book is worthless. And we we've said that over and over again. That's what I've tried to tell a student today. If any word of the Bible is not true, then it's a worthless book because I don't, I don't know what I can believe and can't believe. And I cannot go through and just say, well, I like this verse. I don't like this page. Let me throw this page away and start ripping the pages out of the Bible and say, well, because I don't like this, I'm not going to believe it. I like this one. This is good. And you end up with a really skinny Bible that says all the things that you think are nice, nice sayings. And there's lots of people who do that. Mm -hmm. Lots of people. There's Christians who do it, but there's lots of non-Christians who do it. Well, I like what they said here, and I like what they said here. Well, I don't like this stuff about the blood. We'll get rid of that. Uh, I like this stuff about loving people and being nice to people. I like that. And then, they'll, and then they'll oftentimes go to other religions and start saying, well, I like this part. I like that part. And what they end up doing is putting this big stew pot of, of things they like from all the different religions, and they make up their own religion. And making themselves God. I'm the one that determines what's right and what's wrong. And that is a dangerous place to be. To get to the place where I am trying to choose what is good and bad in the, in, in the, in the book makes me God. Even Christians have to watch that. Too. Lots of Christians do that. Lots of Christians. Well, I like this stuff about God being love. I'm not so sure I like this stuff about going to hell and, and judging. So I'm not going to really bother those. And Christians will do that all the time. And churches will do this. There are churches that do this kind of stuff. And this is one of the reasons I like to teach through the books of the Bible, everything they say. This is what God says. If you don't like it, talk to God, not me. This is what he says. And because it's very true, if it's not true, if every word's not true, then I don't know what I can believe. And it's a worthless book. And this is why it's important. And we look at this and say, I have to believe. And this is why I point out, this book is not written totally chronolo chronological, and we need to understand. It's, it was pieced together after the fact, when Moses is writing down, and then he comes back, he's sitting here probably with these people celebrating on the second month and saying, oh, but by the way, they practiced on the first month, and these that are practicing now are practicing, and this, this is the reason. Okay, so he's going back and saying, this is what God told us to do, and this is why we're doing what we're doing. 
and so it's not a, it's not a critical area. We all have done it when we've told stories and go back and say, oh, by the way, you need to under you, this was a point I forgot to tell you. I need to tell you this, and we go back and we fill in the fill in the story from the previous previous day or previous week or previous year and say, yeah, but you know, you to understand what we're getting ready to tell you, you need to understand <laughs> this this happened back here. And we've all done that in our story. And it's not that we're lying. It's just that we didn't think of the important thing before we, before we wrote it down, uh, started telling it. Let's see, verse 15. And on the day that the tabernacle was reared up and the cloud covered the tabernacle, namely the tent of the testimony, and at evening there, were, there, there was upon the tabernacle as it was an appearance of fire until the morning. And if you remember back in Exodus 40, verse 2, and again, he's going backwards again. He, now he's going back to the first month, first day, second year. And this is what Exodus 40 was when they reared up the temple and God came down upon the temple. Mm -hmm. And nobody could go in because it was God's presence was there. And if you remember the story, go back and read it if you need to. But God was there. They couldn't go in. And his full presence was there. And that's what he's coming back to. He's going backwards again into the story. He's going, oh, and by the way, here's, a, here's another story I want to tell you. Uh, so this is just a list of stories that he's going back. He's trying to fill the people in. And uh, so it says, it was, and so it was always the cloud covered it by day and the, and the appearance of fire by night. And the cloud was taken up from the tabernacle. Then, af then after that, the children of Israel journeyed. And in the place where the cloud abode, there, there the children of Israel pitched their tents. All right, so God is directly leading his people. There's a tent that covers the ark, now the, the tabernacle. Now we read in, in, in Psalms that this tent was a cloud that was over the tabernacle. It wasn't necessarily covering the tabernacle all the time. Just the same thing with the fire was not touching the tabernacle all the time. When it first settled in, in Exodus, it was literally on the tabernacle. Nobody could get to it. The Shekinah glory of God was there. God was so present there that they could not even, and if you remember, even Moses couldn't go in at that time. So here it says, and this goes back to, we've all heard the stories, the children of Israel were led through the wilderness by a pillar of flower, a fire and a pillar of cloud by day. And here, it's, here he's reiterating it. This started back at the crossing of the Red Sea when they were being led by the fire and pillars, and it's going to continue. And in, it looks like it's going to continue the whole time they're in the wilderness. They're going to be going where God says to go. And he's going to tell them when to move, when not to move. Verse 19, And when the cloud tarried upon the tabernacle many days, then the children of Israel kept the charge of the Lord and journeyed not. And so it was when the cloud was a few days upon the tabernacle, according to the commandment of the Lord, they abode in their tents, and according to the commandment of the Lord, they journeyed. And so it was when the cloud abode there even until the morning, and that cloud was taken up in the morning, then, then they journeyed, whether it was by day or by night, that the cloud was taken up, they journeyed. So here we are, the people are watching the temp tabernacle. Are we packing up this morning or not? <laughs> oh, and in the middle of the day, all of a sudden it starts moving, it's, oh, it's time to move. And if you've ever read anything about survival in the in the desert one of the things they do tell you is it's better to travel at night when it's cooler now there's more animals about and around and about at night but it's still a cooler time to run you're not going to get as dehydrated as easy so when you're in the desert nighttime travel is not uncommon and god is saying whether i tell you to move during the day or night 
you're going to go. Now you got to picture this. How how hard is it to take down? You know, these aren't little pop pop pop-up tents that we have today. Okay, these are pretty good-sized tents. And for those of us who've gone camping and with Boy Scouts or something, and put up the the big 10-man tents or 20-man tents, those are not a you know you don't do it in just minutes. And then you've got to fold it up and wrap it up and pack up the posts and start carrying them. And the tabernacle is even bigger, a bigger job, but they've got an entire tribe that is assigned to them, the Levites. But when God starts moving, all this packing comes down. Uh, if you've watched uh, old military shows where they show the tents, you know, and all of a sudden the tents are just collapsed and they're wrapping them up and they're ready to move. You could get good at it. You know, they could get the whole camp moved out in just less than an hour if they really moved a lot. And, and this is what God's saying. When I move, it's time to move. So they're watching this cloud. They're watching this pillar. Verse 22, Or whether it were two days or a month or a year that the cloud tarried upon the tabernacle, remaining thereon, the children of Israel abode in, that, in their tents and journeyed not. And But when it was taken up, they journeyed. And you look at this. It says, I don't care if it's a day, a month, or a, or a year, or... You know, you're going you're gonna to go where I tell you to go, when I tell you to go. And at the commandment the Lord of the Lord, they rested in the tents. And at the commandment of the Lord, they journeyed. And they kept the charge of the Lord at the commandment of the Lord by the hand of Moses. So here we are with this idea. They're celebrating the, the Passover. And God gives them the rules that if somebody is unclean or away on business, then they can celebrate the following month. Anybody who's able to and not, they're chargeable for the sin of not, com not complying to the Passover. And then he goes into the whole thing about how they traveled. Mm -hmm. And this is pretty amazing. You, know, you, you want to talk about not being able to get lost. You've got a great big cloud and pillar of fire to follow, or pillar of cloud to, to follow. You're not going to get lost. Mm -hmm. And you know exactly when to move. And God's going to take you the best way. You want to talk about being led by God. <laughs> you know, this is the leading that most people think they want. You know, God, you just tell me exactly where to go, when to go, what to say, and I, I'm all set. This is that way they were being led. All right, chapter 10. And the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, Make two trumpets of silver. Of a whole piece shall you make them, that you may use them for the calling of the assembly and for the journeying of the camps. And when they shall blow with them, all the assembly shall assemble to, to you at the door of the tabernacle. And if they blow that but one trumpet... Then the princes, which are the heads of the thousands of Israel, shall gather themselves. And when you blow an alarm, then the camps will, that lie on the east part shall go forward. When you blow an alarm a second time, then the camps on, that lie on the south part shall go take their journey. And when you blow the alarm for their, for, the, for their journeys, but when the congregation is to be gathered together, you shall blow, but you shall not sound an alarm. And the sons of Aaron the priest shall blow the trumpets, and they shall be to you for an ordinance forever throughout your generations. And if you go to war in your land against an enemy that oppresses you, you shall blow an, an alarm with the trumpets, and you shall remember before the Lord your be remembered before the Lord your God, and you shall be saved from your enemies. Also in the day of your gladness and in your solemn days, in the beginnings of your months, you shall blow the trumpets over your burnt offerings and over the sacrifices of your peace offerings, and that you may be to you for a memorial before your God. I am the Lord your God. So we see here trumpets. And trumpets have all a long time been used by the military to call charge or retreat or gather. 
And here we see God setting that ordinance of his people. They're to build two, make two silver trumpets. And what does silver re represent? Does anybody remember? Redemption. Redemption. Silver is redemption. So they're to make two silver trumpets, and they're going to use these for announcements. And the trumpets make a loud enough noise that they're heard over large areas. Mm -hmm. You can't have somebody yelling instructions. You, you know, bells work good for, for this type of stuff, uh, trumpets. Uh, militaries have used drums quite frequently for it because drums carry, but trumpets carry that distance. They really carry a far distance. And he says, when they shall blow them, both trumpets in the assemble, then all the people will know to assemble. So if they blew both trumpets at the same time, which means that they must have had some minor difference in their tone so people could know that there were two trumpets, then all the people were to come together. It's quite a good system here that they're, that they're coming up. And if they blow one trumpet, it's saying, okay, just the leaders come and gather. And so Moses is able to gather lots of people or a few people with just a trumpet. And once they hear the trumpet, they're able to come to the gathering site, which would be the tabernacle. And then it says in verse 5, And when you blow an alarm, then the camps that lie on the east side shall go forward. So an alarm, you know, whatever, you know, if you've watched the Calvary movies on the, on the, uh, the Cowboy and Calvary movies on TV, the dun 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 you know, it's, you know, you know, you're to charge, and it's the other sound for retreat, you know, and, and there's a tone and a tune that says, this is charge, this is retreat, this is gather over here, this is gather over there, and, you know, this is, and there's calls for different, different people in different ranks. Uh, the military would pipe the captain in, and if you've ever watched the Navy movies, there's that, the, the, the boats in who sounds that, that, that little whistle thing, and it's always the same sound for a, for a captain. Now, if an admiral comes aboard, it's a different sound for an admiral. Yeah. Okay? And they use that same whistle for the same thing in, the, in there to give commands over the hail, the, the hailstorms and the, and, the, and the strong winds. They would sometimes use that to say, sheets up, sheets down, you know, pull in this, you know, and then they had tones for all those different commands because the human voice didn't carry all the time. So this is the, the system that God's putting in place. This is how you're going to start warning. And one, one alarm sound meant it was from the east. The second alarm sound was, was for the south. And right down, right down the list that he went. And so he says, you know, blow the sounds, blow the, blow the alarms. And the people who were to make these alarms, this, handle these trumpets were Aaron's sons, the priest. One of their jobs, they were to be the watchmen. And we'll read later on in, 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 uh, in the prophets how the watchmen were on the corners and they would be given trumpets so that the people could be warned and awakened in the middle of the night if there was, if there was an attack. And you know, we see that. We, you know, if you watch any kind of movies of that, you'll see the alarm sounding or the bells ringing, anything to bring, bring the attention of the people, problem, attack. <laughs> Wake up and, and wake up and smell the roses before the enemy gets here. You know, get your weapons out. And you know, it's very interesting that he said all of this. And, and then it goes in verse 10. Also on the days of your gladness, on your solemn feast, and at the beginnings of your months, you shall blow the trumpets over your burnt offerings and over the sacrifice of your peace offerings. 
and you shall and they shall be to you a memorial before the God, before God because I am God. So at each of the at the offering time it was time to blow the trumpets. And that was again to tell people it's time to offer. It's time to give God his his due. Come to church. And in most of Europe and in early America, it was the bells that rang in the churches, and they were they were literally the call to worship. And part of it was practical. People did not have watches and wristbands and alarm wristwatches and, and alarm clocks sitting in their houses. So when it was time for church to come, it was like, hey, here's your here's your 15 or 20 minute warning, whatever it was. It's time to come to church, and the bells would ring. And people would, would finish up what they were doing and get to church because it was time to go to church, the call to worship. And that's what we're seeing here in verse 10, the call to worship. These trumpets sounded at the dusk because it is time for the offering. Come and give your offering to God. And we see that here. Verse 11, And it came to pass on the 20th day of the second month in the second year, that the cloud was taken off the tabernacle of the testimony. This is the first time the cloud has moved in over a year. Okay, they've been in Mount Sinai for a year. And we've had Exodus, Leviticus, and now the first 10 chapters of, no, of Numbers, they've been in one place. They stayed in Sinai for a year and God now lifts the tabernacle, the cloud from the tabernacle. It's time to move. One year, two months, and six days since they left Egypt. And they're now finally getting around to leaving Sinai. They've had their first Passover. Those who were defiled on that, uh, uh, the second Passover were, have had their chance to have their Passover. It's six days past that. And it's time finally to move. And... It's quite an interesting, they're gonna, they've spent 11 months at Sinai. Now that's quite a while. I mean, we read about that, and we never really oftentimes think about how long they spent in Sinai. 11 months of hanging out in Sinai, waiting to move. You know, they've left slavery. They've been out. They've built the temple. They've been given the laws. They've been given God's rules. They've agreed that they're going to live by God's rules. They understand how to give the sacrifices, when they're supposed to give the sacrifices, how they're supposed to line up in their, in their, in their orders uh, and, and camp around the tabernacle. And if you remember the tabernacle camp, the way they're camped around the tabernacle makes a, a roughly the sign of a cross, the way they're, way they're numbered. So if you were high enough looking down, you'd see this form of some form of a cross. It might be a little bubbled on the sides because of the, you know, they're not going to form straight corners, but it's larger, you know, larger on one side than, than it is on the other three, and the dimensions are very much for the cross. And they've been given all this stuff, and it's now time to move. And where are they moving to? The promised land. The promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey. They've left slavery. They've left the bitterness of slavery, and now it's time to go to the land that God has promised them. A land with all the food they want, all the milk, all the honey, flowing with milk and honey. A land that is so productive that, you know, and you can't have milk without having green grass because cows, need, cows and goats need grass to be able to produce the milk. You can't have honey without lots of flowering vegetation because it takes bees to make honey. So God's saying, we're taking you to a land that is so plenteous, so rich, 
that it flows with milk and honey. And this is pretty amazing. This is where they're finally getting around to get going to. It's been a year and two months since they left, and it's been 11 months sitting at the bottom of this mountain listening to Moses tell them how to do everything. And now it's time to move. And we, we see this moving. Verse 12, And the children of Israel took their journeys out of the wilderness of Sinai, and the cloud rested in the wilderness of Paran, and they took their first journey according to the commandment of the Lord by the hand of Moses. So they're going to move from Sinai and head over to Paran. <laughs> and in the first place went the standard of the camp of Judah according to the his armies, and over his host it was Nashon the son of Abedad, and over the host of the tribe of the children of Issachar was Nathaniel, Nathaniel, the son of Zuar, and over the host of the tribe of the children of Zebulon was Eliab, the son of Helon. And the tabernacle was taken down, and the sons of Gershon and the sons of Merari set forward, bearing the tabernacle, and the standard of the camp of Reuben was set before, forward according to their armies, and over the host was Elizur and the son of Shedeor. And over the host of the tribe of the children of Simeon was Shelumiel, the son of Zurishadai. And over the host of the tribe of the children of Gad was Eliasaph, the son of Duel. And the Kohathites set forward, having the sanctuary, and the others did set up the tabernacle against they came. And the standard of the camp of the children of Ephraim set forward according to their armies. Over his host was Elishiamah, the son of Amihud, and over the host of the tribe of the children of Manasseh was Gamaliel, the son of Pedazur, and over the host of the tribe of the children of Benjamin was Abin Abidan, the son of Gil-e-Onai, and the standard of the camp of the children of Dan set forward, which was the re rear reward of all the camps throughout all the hosts, and over his host was Ahiezer, the son of Amishadai. And over the host of the tribe of the children of Asher was Pegiel, the son of Achran. And over the host of the children of Naphtali was Ahira, the son of Enan. Thus were the journeys of the children of Israel according to their armies when they set forward. And all this stuff was what we covered back in chapters 2 and 3, how they would move out and how they would follow, and in the middle was the, the tabernacle, and then followed was following. Huh? The Levites. In the, the Levites in the center, and then you would fall, fall out with the, the, the uh, east, uh, western and northern tribe. Uh, but all of this was moving out. And you've got to think about this. Approximately three and a half million people are setting out on this journey. And... You can barely, you barely, barely walk 20 miles. So it's 15 to 20 miles that they're going to walk in any one, one, one march. And so three and a half million people, you've got people that haven't even hardly left camp probably when the other ones are getting ready to start setting up camp because it's going to take that long to move that many people. And if you've ever seen an evacuation, even in the movies or stuff, you know, when they... You know, an evacuation with everybody moving out takes a long time to evacuate a lot of people. And so this is a big deal. When God moves, it's a big deal to be moving. 
Verse 29. And Moses said unto Hobab, the son of Reguel, the, the Midianite, Moses' father-in-law, We are journeying into the place which the Lord said, I will give you. Come you with us, and, and we will do you good, for the Lord has spoken good concerning Israel. So he's saying, hey, we can use you. You know the desert. Basically, that's what he's saying. You know the desert. We can use you. Moses here is trying to rely on the flesh. God is leading him, but he's going, you know, hey, you know, come on with us. We could, you know, you, you know the desert. You know, you know how to find water. You know how to find the roads. And God is leading them. You know, this is showing a lack of faith on Moses' part at this point. He's, he might be being kind to his father-in-law as well, but there's, there's this kind of lack of faith saying, hey, you, you, know, you, know, you know the desert. You're going to be a great help to us. Forgetting that God's leading them. And he said unto you, I will not go, but I will, but I will depart to my own land and to my kindred. And Moses says, Leave us not, I pray, for as much as you know how we are to encamp in the wilderness, and, and you may be to us instead of eyes, and if it be, and, and it shall be, if you go with us, it shall be that what goodness the Lord shall do unto us, and the same shall we do unto you. And I've heard these kind of conversations to different people in churches where they're trying to convince somebody who's not saved to come to the church and serve in the church because their skills are needed. Mm -hmm. And I have serious problems when, with it. I understand what they're trying to do. They're trying to get the person in, into the church. You know, it's like, oh, we need a guitar player. We need somebody who can do this, that, or the other thing. But they're not a Christian. They're not part of the body of Christ. And bringing them in is not always going to be enough. And, and I've, all, I've heard the stories where people got and saved by doing this. And it was the hook that brought them in. And, and those kind of people really love this kind of evangelism. Come on in. But, you know, it usually causes more problems than it does good. Mm -hmm. It almost always causes more problems than good. And I've seen the people and I've heard the people that have gotten saved because they've come in to be the, the help and fill in. But it's not really the way you should be filling in. You should get the person saved and then plug them into the body of Christ, not plug them, try to plug them into the body of Christ so that they get saved. And here's Moses trying that same trick. You know, hey, we really, you know, you, you, know, you know the desert. You, 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 know, you, know where the, you know, you know where the food is. You know where the water is. You know, you know where the paths are. You know who to avoid. You know, come and stay with us. We need you. And Moses is saying this when they're following a pillar. You know, what if God is taking them right where this guy is going to say, no, that's not a good place to go. God is leading them. <laughs> okay? He's going, no, the water's over there, and God's leading them another direction. It's not a good thing that Moses is asking for, and his father-in-law is wise enough to say, no, I'm just going home. Now, number one, I don't belong with you in the, in the land flowing with milk and honey. I've got my own land. I've got my own tents. I've got my own flocks. You know, Moses, you were keeping my flocks, you know. You know, we've got a good, I've got it good. I don't need to go anywhere else. So he had it very wise in his answer, in his answer to all of this. Verse 33, And they departed from the mount of the Lord three days' journey, and the ark of the covenant of the Lord went before them in the three days' journey to search out a resting place for them. And the cloud of the Lord was upon them by day when they went out of camp, and, when it, and it came to pass when the ark set forward, that Moses said, Rise up, Lord, and let your enemies be scattered, and let them that hate you flee before you, from before you. And when it rested, he said, Return, O Lord, unto the many thousands of Israel. 
So this is, this is his habit. When they get ready to march, God, you go out and you scatter our enemies before we get there. <laughs> and when that's it, a good thing. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good, that's a good thing. You know, God, you just get out there and you, you really go scatter our enemies. Because <laughs> we don't want to have to deal with them, God. You take care of them. And then when, they, when it's time to rest, God, return and, and protect us. Very interesting prayer, very interesting way of, of moving forward. But Moses is understanding, God, you're in charge. God, you're our defender. You are our defense. You are our defender. You are even our attacker. Go out and deal with them. And so we see this moving of the temple. We see the moving of, not, not the temple, but the tabernacle. And other people, three and a half million approximately, getting ready to make this move and going out. Lord, we ask you just to thank you for this day. We ask you to go with us as we go and take care of things. We ask that you always guide and lead us, Lord, as you have always done for your people, Lord. And we expect you to continue to do for us. And we know that you will, Lord. You will guide and keep us if we will just open our ears and listen. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.